Hey, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. There's a new year, new snow, all kinds of fun stuff happening today. I'm excited that you're joining us, too, for the beginning of this year, first service of the year at Life Church. Whether you're here in person, whether you're online, uh, whether you're at the work release program, wherever you're at, thanks for being with us, especially if it's your first time. So again, Taylor, Director of Community and Connections here at Life Church, and we're wrapping up week two of our Find Your People uh, series. The reason we chose Find Your People was because uh, as, a, as the new year approaches, our life groups are, are opening up again, uh, and we wanted to kind of hit home the idea of what community means. Uh, and community for everyone looks different. Last week, we talked a little bit uh, about how when you get into community, there's different roles and different phases. And we talked in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 a little bit about how you went from you know, milk, but you need to get to solid foods, and you need people to help you get there. Uh, we talked about how Paul and Apollos worked together in that and to raise up uh, disciples. So this week, we're gonna be in Luke chapter five. Uh, if you wanna get ready to be in there, Luke chapter five will be in verses 17 through 26. And we're gonna talk about the story of Jesus healing the paralytic man. Uh, and as we look into the story today, there's several things I want you to keep your eyes open to. The first is maybe you're someone who needs help. Maybe you're someone uh, that needs people to surround you to help you see Jesus. Maybe you're the person that you know you have the faith and you're finding out or you're praying about how to help someone else take their next steps towards Jesus. So I, wherever that is for you today, I want you to look at what happens in Luke chapter five as we discuss what community means and to kind of set it up real quick. Jesus is going to be just beginning his ministry. He'd just been through the wilderness for 40 days fasting, tempted by Satan himself, and he comes out of this, this temptation in the wilderness and he just began his ministry. Where we find ourselves in Luke 5 today, he had just essentially called his first disciples, started to just perform miracles, casting out demons, and this is one of the early things that Jesus did in his ministry. And I hope that you see today the value of putting yourself around other people and how that can change your life. And so before we get in, I'm gonna show you a quick clip from our Roundtable podcast. It's Joel Childs. He's actually the one that's gonna click the button too, so that's pretty cool. Uh, but Joel here today uh, is gonna share a little bit about his experience in community, what it's done for him, and how much it's changed his life. So if you would, please direct your eyes uh, to the screens. Whenever doing life with someone, you get emotionally invested in them. And mm -hmm. when they have a success, you have a success. And when they're hurt, you're hurt as well. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I would say, what my big influence is now is, or who's feeding into me, that sort of thing, is just people I do life with. Right. Um, and I know maybe that sounds generic because I'm back to talking about small group. Well, um, no, I mean, we're but back I think that to speaks what, to the influence it has on me. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we're back to saying what for lack of a better term, I just don't think people want to talk about this. The fact mm -hmm. that uh -oh. the bottom line is relationships change everything. Yeah. So the amount of men who join a group and just think, ah, whatever, and then within, I don't know, three, four weeks, maybe a month and a half, they realize, holy cow, I've been missing out on this. Right. And it's this masculinity, What? and that's funny coming from me. But the idea that to be vulnerable and, yeah. and emotional and intimate um, period, whether it's your wife or just a random group of guys is just so off-putting. Mm -hmm. But once you're in it and you're invested into it, you realize how important it is. I mean, I would rather do small group than Sunday church mm -hmm. I, because it's more meaningful for me. And, and I, lo I love Sunday church mm -hmm. right. and I get something out of Sunday church. I mm -hmm. just get more out of mm -hmm. being in circles instead of rows. Right. 
And so quick little takeaway from that. Like there's many things we can, if you can go back and look at the whole episode on the round table. But once you understand what community is and how it can transform your life because people are surrounding you and helping you take your next step towards Jesus, which is the vision of our church is, is well, our mission is to help everyone take their next step towards Jesus together. But our mission or our vision being out of rows and into circles. The reason we say we want everybody here to, yes, come on a Sunday morning, experience the teaching, make connections, but the greater thing that we've seen where spiritual maturity takes place is in those communities. And once you've experienced it, it changes your life. And so we're gonna be Luke 5. Uh, we're gonna start in verse 17, and we'll read that verse first, break it down, and then we'll go back in. So Luke 5, verse 17, it'll be on the screen for you as well. It says, on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So real quick, and to, and to set this up, people were gathering at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, right? Like when you heard about who he was and what he was doing, it drew large crowds. It, it drew the teachers of the law, it says here. One thing I want us just to kind of make a note of is the teachers of the law were sitting around the teachings of Jesus. They were going to watch things take place, but they were focused more on the rules than they were on the promise of the Messiah. These people missed the whole purpose of what Jesus was trying to do. And, and later, he'll tell them that essentially it has to do with their hearts. So if you look at a Pharisee or someone who's sitting in the group, because that's true for us today, we can sit in a circle, talk about Jesus all day long, we can look at the teachings of the Bible and learn more about them, but knowledge doesn't translate to faith. We have to somehow take the words of the Bible, who Jesus is, who God is, what our purpose is, and we have to put it into action, and that happens in community. So on one hand, you've got teachers of the law looking, saying, well, this is what I know to be true, so I can't be open to what this man's saying because this is the law. But, but again, the promise was right in front of him. Jesus fulfills a prophecy in the scripture in front of their very eyes and they deny it. This is crazy. We get, we get blinded sometimes when our hearts are not inclined to do the right thing, but I also wanna challenge you with this. Maybe your heart has been hardened or challenged and you're not sure what that looks like to follow Jesus because you know Jesus one way, maybe it was the wrong way, maybe it's the way you were brought up, maybe it was because of church hurt. Whatever, whatever that idea of Jesus is, if you can at least just show up and hear about Jesus and experience people experiencing Jesus, he can change your life through that. We know in scripture, other Pharisees had their hearts changed. Even, even while they were hardened, God can soften the hearts of the people of whose heart he wants to soften. He's God. So it doesn't matter where you're at. I just challenge you, if your heart's in this place and you're questioning and you're not really sure, sometimes you just gotta show up. Sometimes you just gotta find some people and get around them and they'll help you along the way. So now we're gonna go verse 18 through 19, Luke 5, and it says this. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. All right, put yourself in this man's position for just a second. A paralytic man. He's bound to this bed or this mat, whatever phrase you would use. He's literally secluded to this little bitty mat. It's where he lives. We don't know, as we read the story, if something caused him to become paralyzed or if he was born this way. 
But understanding in Jewish culture or even Roman culture now at this time, Romans had a statute that said if you were born with a physical defect as a baby, they, were, they would kill you. The Roman Empire didn't want to have to deal with children that were born with defects. They wanted warriors. They wanted strong men. Well, what about Jews? We know we read about this through the Gospels. If, if something happened to the kid, guess whose fault it was? It was the sins of the parents. It was the family's fault. So understand the people around him likely, for the most part, he looked at him and said, well, you don't offer any value to me. And these men, as they would go on in their lives, were the lame, as you read about, the beggars, because they didn't have anyone. They were outcasts. They couldn't live on their own. Think about it. There's no rehab. There's no therapy programs. There's no special surgery you can get. This is, this is first century times. So understand, as a lame man, a paralytic is laying on this bed, how does he, how does he work? He probably can't. If he doesn't work, guess what he can't do? He can't get food because he doesn't have money. And if he doesn't have money, he also doesn't have a place to live. He's a, he's a needy person. But you know the one thing that he did have going for him? People that cared about him, surrounding him. First century church, that man would have been walked by daily, multiple times in a small knit village. People would know him, they would know his needs, and there would have to be those people who would say, just because you're different, I'm not gonna let that distract me from what I know I can offer you. People had to have given him money. People had to have given him food. People had to give him shelter, take care of his daily needs. So in one sense, he did have something, even though society would say he has nothing to offer. He had one of the greatest things in life, and that was people that cared about who he was. But often in relationships, this is what we miss. Our relationships with other people today are very transactional. Well, if you can do this for me, then I can do this for you. What if somebody can't do anything for you? Think about it in, in your faith. If they can't offer you anything, are you still willing to pick them up and take them to Jesus? Are you willing to sacrifice what's that, what that's gonna cost? Labeled as that person who's gonna help this man who didn't deserve the help in the first place? This happens, right? But the only way that this can happen and that this man would be picked up on a bed, not only are people around him, but people had to be able to relate to him in some way. How do you relate to a paralytic when you have two legs? What do we have in common? Yes, children of God, sure. But think about what they had in common. They all had a bed themselves. Think about this. This man sitting on a mat, a bed, Confound, confi confined, confounded, I don't know the word. He's stuck on it, can't go anywhere, he needs it. Lives on it, sleeps on it. You have one too, we just can't see it. The whole idea of the bed is it's a symbol of weakness. Sometimes people can see the bed that you're sitting on outwardly, right? Sometimes people can see your addictions, your hangups, your physical defects, whatever those things might be. That's challenging because you can't hide it. And people typically look at you and the church today and say, well, look at this person's problems. You know the way these men that surround Jesus would have helped him? Being vulnerable, being vulnerable enough to say, hey, I've got my own bed too. You just can't see mine because I can roll it up and hide it. Spending time with him, sharing who you are, and this is implied, we don't know this in scripture, it's two verses, but, but how else would they have connected? What else would have mattered in this relationship? Because also be the, the paralytic man. This is true for us today too. 
Nobody wants to be picked up and paraded around on your weakness in front of other people. Nobody else wants to say, hey, yep, got this going on. I want you to pick me up. I want you to show people I'm going through something, and I want it to be very confusing what you're doing for me. I want to parade it around and show it off. No. If we can't see it, oftentimes what we do is we just hide it and we don't talk about it. And then we wonder why it's so hard to reach people. So question for yourselves is like, so how, and for all of us, how can I relate to someone while remembering that you also have a mat, you also have the bed, you also have something that you're struggling with, and you know what's greater than that? We all need Jesus. The one thing these friends knew, maybe they couldn't even offer him anything else. I've given you money, I've given you time, I've, I've given you food, I don't, I don't know what else to do for you. But I know there's this man in our area, and he's present with the power to heal what the verse before this said. And if that man has the power present to heal and he is who he says he is, I can take you there. I know that that could change your life, but I can't. Are we willing to put ourselves in those positions to say, I don't know anything else here. I don't know this mess you call life, what it's entailing. I don't know what to do to help you get out of it. I can give you kind words. I can... I can give you a little pat on the back, say, hey, just keep fighting, just keep having faith. But this man had to want to be helped at some point, and he had to have people willing to do that for him, to change his life forever. So I, saw, I talked about this a little bit last week, but, and, and, and it kind of ties into Joel's video a little. The idea of, of climbing up a mountain at the base layers is a, is a camp. It's a base camp. That's what Sunday morning is. You come here, you get equipped to go on the journey to the top of the mountain, which is your community, which is doing life with people, which is making disciples, right? If you've been to the top of that mountain and you've seen that view, you wanna go down and say, I wanna bring you with me because you need to see what this is. The problem is we get to the base camp and think we've seen the top. You don't climb the mountain without climbing the mountain. Am I right? Like, You've gotta put in effort and time to disciple. It's not about just coming to the base camp and saying, well, I went there, got a souvenir. You gotta go on the journey to the top. You gotta bring people along because if you've seen the views, if you experience the success of being at the top and saying, this was it, then you would be willing to bring anybody to that level with you, to walk alongside them, right? You would be willing to walk that journey. So here's the question for us. How far will you go to help someone be in that spot? So what happens in our story for today in this passage? We read these men, they, they not only pick him up on his mat, his bed, not only do they carry him, I mean, I don't know how long the journey was. Could have been a week's long journey. Could have been right down the road. I don't, I don't know. Didn't matter. No barrier. I'm getting you to this man who has the power present to you. Because I can't do anything for you, but I know he can I don't care how long I have to carry you to get there. If it's gonna change your life, I'll take you there. First thing they see when they pull up, a crowd. Can't get in. Not, not like there's a line and you can just necessarily wait. Jesus is teaching and he's drawing in all kinds of people to the point where they stop and they look and they were like, we can't get to him. I think a lot of us would give up right there. Well, 
Not right now, maybe another day. We'll try again. How far are you willing to go? And I, I, being me, I think it was comical to look back on this passage of scripture because there's a lot that you have to kind of draw out. Uh, but I, I think of it as probably what, four guys to carry, you know, 150, 200 pound man, whatever he would be, 100 pounds. But probably four people carrying this man up to the crowds and knowing that they weren't gonna stop there and knowing what we read in scripture what happened. You know, they, they didn't go, okay, can't make it through. I'd imagine one person was probably like, we could just go up there. <laughs> just, why don't we just put him on top of the house then? And I imagine the, the paralytic in the bed, like, you really think that's like the best plan right now? Like, <laughs> what are you gonna do then? Like, it just goes, you can't hear him, you can't see him. What's that gonna do? What's the purpose? And then I was laughing more as I thought about this because I was like, imagine that show today. Take four people in here who think you're strong. Get one person that you gotta carry on a bed. I'll give you the best louder that I have in my house. And I wanna watch you just take that guy up onto the roof real quick. Again, I go up a flight of stairs and I'm tired. You're taking a human being, dead weight, up to the top of a roof. Why? <laughs> then what? Well, when they would get to the top of the roof, typically how these houses or these buildings were constructed, there was wood beams, but they weren't just like dirt or just, you know, some of them were, but this was a type of roof where people would fellowship on. Like you could go out, you could walk around on it. You could, some people had gardens, they grew their own food on top of these houses. It was more of like a clay texture, right? It wasn't this loose material because of like gravity, like it's gotta be held up. So you get on the roof, and then they're like, okay, now what? I think you should just dig a hole here. That'd probably be the best idea. I think, like, just go ahead and however, maybe right here would be good. Like, like logistically, this is insane. But they're like, I don't care what it's gonna take. I'm gonna get you to Jesus. And then again, it's not just like they can dig a little bit. Like, you're gonna like break stuff up. And not only do you have to make a hole that you can look in and be like, oh, hey, Jesus, it's gotta be big enough for a man in his bed. Like, that's crazy. But that's also faith. They didn't know what it would have ever done for this man. All they knew was one thing. I gotta get you to Jesus. I've gotta get you there. But we're gonna read about this in just a minute. But in that part right there, where they, since they finally have a whatever, however big hole, they're gonna lower this guy down now, probably being physically exhausted and Whoever thought this plan up, but they're gonna lower him down. Gravity again on their side. Like, hey, buddy, you're getting there either way, but <laughs> I hope we can lower you safely. I'm gonna put you right down in front of Jesus. This is the kicker for me as I'm reading this. And you have to infer this based on what the rest of the passage of Scripture says. They didn't intend on bringing him back up. They did not intend on saying, hey, all right, we're gonna go through all this trouble, put you up on a roof, dig a massive hole, Lay you down in there, and you know what? If he just doesn't want to do it or if he can't, that's fine. We'll just pick you back up. We'll get back off the roof. We'll go back home. They put him down in there with no intentions of bringing him back up because they knew the second that he went before the feet of Jesus, he was gonna stand up on those two feet and he was gonna walk out of that house, change forever, and never need to be on that mat ever again. He couldn't have done that himself. He had to have the faith of his friends to believe that Jesus could change his life forever. 
Charles Spurgeon talks about an analogy in this passage, which is, which is pretty interesting if you know Charles Spurgeon. He talks about a house fire, talks about the relationships of the people around you. He says, imagine a house fire happens. You and your family, your home catches on fire. You know, you can't see where everybody is, but you, but you make it out of the house. You're looking for everyone. As you one by one get out of the burning home, you kind of, you know, crowd around, you hug each other, you're hanging on, you're like, thankful we made it out. And then you realize that you're missing someone. You're not gonna stop until you get that family member back. You don't care what links you'll have to go to to go back into that house or what would happen to you going back into this burning, blazing home. You're saying, I'm getting in there and I'm getting you out because I need you to be safe and I want you to live. Do we care about the souls of the lost today? Are we in positions that even though I might not have a relationship with you, I don't wanna see you go to hell. And I have experienced Jesus. And I don't care what it is you're going through. I've been through some stuff myself. I'm getting in there and I'm bringing you out. Have we put ourselves in those places today? Or is it just better off if it's just someone we know? I'll do anything for my family, do anything for my closest friends. That coworker that drives me nuts? Nope, not going in after him. It's a soul made in the image of God. Are we willing to do anything for those around us? And I imagine Jesus here too. So now kind of take from the roof scene and go down into the house. Imagine Jesus. This is just a note. He's sitting there. He's teaching whatever he had to teach. And he's talking. And then you hear the ruckus on the roof. And you're like, okay, that's a little loud. Keeps teaching. A hole. Keeps teaching. A really big hole. Keeps teaching. A body. Keeps teaching. Right in front of him. He used that. He didn't let it distract him. When we're around people, sometimes distractions come into the middle of our circumstances. When you're in a group, hey, today I want to talk about these things. Someone comes in with something else. Are we willing to stop and listen? Are we willing to stop and hear that person's heart and help them be right with Jesus? Are we more focused on, well, we were trying to do this, so that has to wait. Are we okay with ourselves being interrupted in our groups? So as he lowered the body, as the friends lower the body, right before the feet of Jesus, notice what he says to him. I don't know if I even read verse 20, so I'm gonna put it on the screen. Verse 20 says this. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, because of your faith, your sins are forgiven. You know what else he didn't say? You're healed. Imagine the friends being like, no, he's got, it's the legs, not the sin. It's like, <laughs> fix that thing. That's not it. <laughs> That's why we came. You got, heal him. Don't forgive him. He said, man's, your sins are forgiven you, not to him. Not because, well, he said it to him, but not because of his faith. He said, your sins are forgiven because of their faith. Sometimes we don't have enough faith. Sometimes we don't know what to do next. How do you take a step? I don't know. 
the power and the importance of putting yourself around godly people that can help you take your next step towards Jesus can change your life forever. There's an importance to being in community, not because the church says, get into a group, because your life can be changed. And imagine the friend's response. Like right now, like they're like, oh, uh, not what we wanted, but later we know, spoiler alert, he's gonna be healed. Like when you see that, that'll change your life too. That'll change your heart as well. So there's another adage that I was reading about this week that says, why would Jesus have forgiven his sins instead of just healing him? Because forgiving his sins didn't change anything. He's still on the, he's still on the bed. So why did he address the sin issue first? Because Jesus knows that's what's more important. Nothing wrong with being in a group of people and saying, hey, can, I need prayer for like my circumstances, I'm sick, or I need a job, I need you to pray for me, and, or this is what's going on, or my circumstances in life, I just need them to change. Nothing wrong with that. Get together, build one another up. But you know what matters more than any of that? Where you at with God? How can I help you get right with him? And Jesus addresses him, he says, man, your sins are forgiven you. He addresses the eternal problem but it still leaves out this other piece. So what do, you, what do you do about that? This changes this man's life because this is what Jesus did. Jesus died for your sins, for your eternity. He didn't die just so you could have a job. He didn't die just so you could be healthier. And I hope, I'm treading lightly here because I, I understand we all go through things, Right? And you should put them at the feet of Jesus. And you should trust in him. But the first question you have to ask is, am I right with him? Because Jesus knew, I could give him two feet, but I could walk him right into hell. So he's like, I'm gonna address something first. Your sins are forgiven first. This matters first. I'll take care of the other part later. Now, Pharisees sitting around. Pharisees gotta be Pharisees. This is what they say. We're in verse uh, 21 through 25. It'll be up on your screens here in just a second. There it is. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. The Pharisees here, bad hearts. They think he's blaspheming. Only God can forgive sins. He's like, I know. I'm forgiving him. Why do you say this in your hearts? The hope of a Messiah is what these Pharisees were waiting on. Isaiah prophesied 500 years before this that a, that a man would come, a Messiah would come to heal and be a savior to the people. And right in front of their very eyes, they were more closed off to something that didn't fit their agenda rather than trusting the promises that God had told them they would experience. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, like their hearts completely transformed because they were at least open to listening and seeing what Jesus could do in their lives. And this is, this is incredible for us to remember. Jesus looks at this man 
He looks at this man, and then he says, after he forgives his sins, after the Pharisees question him and he has this conversation with him, he says, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Then he gets up. Then he's like, oh, okay, this is what I was talking about. Then everybody's in amazement. Then everybody's like, whoa. Pharisees' hearts are still closed, even though they're watching a miracle take place, a prophecy be fulfilled, right in front of their very eyes. He says, rise, get up on that, on that bed, take it home, pick it up. This is crazy to me. I'm gonna invite the worship team up too. This is, for me, one of the more challenging thoughts. Why did Jesus tell him to grab the bed? Because he didn't need it anymore. Like, you know, we talk about in our faith journeys, we talk about this. Like, if I lay it down to Jesus' feet, it's his, I don't want it anymore, he'll take it all away. Go back. Re go back in the story again. What connected those men to this paralytic man? Understanding that they had a mat too. Understanding that they had a bed too. As I, as I think about this passage of scripture, this is the one thing that keeps getting my attention. Jesus took away the bed from you. You no longer need the bed. Get up off of it and go home. Carry it with you out of here. I don't need it anymore. Yes, you do. What do you mean by that? Because down the road, and this happens for us today, when people are looking at your life, they're like, well, that man's been with Jesus forever. He's got, he's fine. Hmm. No. Let me show you something. Here's my bed. I used to lay on this thing 24-7. I lived on it. I imagine that God told him, Jesus told him to take that bed so that every single time he looked back at it, he would say, I see Jesus. I see the people who helped me. I can look back at that bed and say, I remember being confined to that. I remember being a slave to that. I remember not being able to walk. I remember not feeling free. I remember all of these things, but greater than all of that, I remember these people caring about me enough to take me to Jesus so I don't have to be on that anymore. But guess what? I still have it. It's still a part of who I was. That's my testimony. We can't get to a place, church, where we forget about that mat, that bed. You have to remember that was your story. And when you remember that, the compassion you have to reach people, the Pharisees, do you think they were inviting someone in to be like, hey, you gotta hear about this Jesus guy. He's gonna do something great today. No. You know what these men did? I don't know what he's gonna say, but I know you need to know him. If you wanna know where your heart is, as a believer, you should have a heart for lost people. If you don't, it needs fixed. You need to be right with God. How? I don't know. When? I don't know. Who? I know. We should be in community to help people know Jesus. And once you've experienced him, you'll understand the transformation that can happen in your life. So will you please stand so I can pray for you. And after this, Troy Oswald Band's gonna continue singing a song and there's gonna be uh, our prayer team. There'll be people up here willing and able to pray for you. You know, Troy, Troy texted me. He said, why not start off the new year right? Why not gather around people, pray for them? People struggling in your faith. Whatever it is you wanna lay down at the feet of Jesus, there's gonna be some people up here to pray with you during this time. Uh, and then we'll close out after that. So if you would, please bow your heads, close your eyes and we'll pray.
dear God, I was on the mat. I was on that bed. I think sometimes I lay in it. Forgive me if I ever forget what you've done getting me off of my bed. Hold me accountable. Put those people in my life, God. Help me always remember what you've done for me. You fixed my eternal problem. I can never thank you enough. I pray for every person in this room that we would be prayerful about who it is we need to reach or what it is we need to do to put ourselves in a position to have other people help us take those steps towards you, God. We trust you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.